you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Nehemiah for a while, where we've been for the last while, seven weeks. Doesn't seem that long, but then it does. Amen, yes. Uh, I know last week was a little, um, not as exciting as past weeks, a little dry maybe, um, but this week, who knows, we'll see, we'll see. Um, chapter 8 of Nehemiah is where we're going to be, but, um, so we've got the walls have been rebuilt and all this, and now they're working on the inside of the city, and last week they kind of just set up some government type things and list the people, which isn't the most exciting parts of the Bible when we read through. A lot of times we skim over these lists. Uh, I know you don't, I may have a few times in my life, but... You know, these people are in there because, you know, they're important to God. And he sees, you know, things we do and, he, and we matter. Even if nobody else knows anything about these people, God saw them and saw that they were fit to put in. And uh, that lets us know that he cares about, he cares about each and every one of us, whether we have a big name or, or not. Right. You know, whether we're part of a big, you know, famous family or whatever, doesn't matter. You know, he sees and he knows each and every one of us. Um, Victor Hugo, who you may know, is a French author. He said once upon a time, he said that England has two books, the Bible and Shakespeare. England made Shakespeare, but the Bible made England. And history lets us know that this is true. A lot of laws and culture and things they had adapted from the Bible were found in the Bible. And the settlers came to North America from this part of the world. They brought the Bible with them, and they had the same respect and reverence for the Word of God, and um, they set up nations based on the Word of God, which we know. If you look at our laws, a lot of them were based on things like the Ten Commandments and, and stuff like that, and um, <clears throat> nowadays it's not so much the case. People have kind of been slowly turning away from it. There's still some things we say are wrong, but a lot of things people are kind of, oh, maybe that's not so bad anymore, but one thing for sure, of all the nations in the world and throughout history, the nation of Israel was one that was made by the scriptures. Everything that they did was based on the word. Everything they did was, every law they had was founded in, in the word. They were a people of the book like no nation before or since, and we would do good by trying to follow that example that they've given us in that sort, in that aspect. Um, not to follow uh, fads, which is, you know, they come and go. My old pastor used to say that um, if you put the word, the letter E on the end of fad, you get fade, and it will eventually fade away. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not good to follow society because society changes quite often. You know, our neighbors, they come and go, they change, other churches do whatever, but it's, you know, we should be trying to follow the word the best that we we can. So this chapter is based on um, the reestablishing the importance of the, the Bible or the word, the law, all that in the nation of Israel or the city of Jerusalem again. Um, when we get away from following the Bible and following the word and reading it and obeying it and loving it, then we lose out on the blessings of God. If we want to grow, if we want to produce anything, 
um, worthwhile in our lives, our ministries, or whatever. You know, we need to, um, we have to delight in his word. Psalm 1, verse 2 to 3 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. This is a man whose delight is in the the law of the Lord. Someone that's delighting in his word, he's going to produce, he's going to grow, he's going to do things for the kingdom. If we delight, if we love, if we spend time in his word, the Bible will enrich our lives. It will help us grow and help us to be more like Jesus and who he's calling to be and produce the correct um, fruit of our lives, you know, metaphorically, spiritually speaking. And we are Pentecostal, we are spiritual people. Uh, sometimes we lean more to that, um, but we can't lean so far spiritually or emotionally that we ignore the word. Uh, we need both. We said last week, if you have all word, no spirit, you dry up. If you have all spirit and no word, you blow up. If you have both, you grow up. So you need both. They go together to, uh, to help. Um, so this is why... Nehemiah, in this chapter, he calls sort of a Bible conference or a Bible school type thing for the people of Israel, or the people of Jerusalem, sorry. And he brings Ezra, who was a prophet and a scribe, and he brings him in to be the teacher. Um, the walls are finished, the gates are hung, the guards are in place, everything's set up. There's uh, people in charge, he's, you know, whatever's done, all that stuff. And the material needs of the city have been met, and now it's time for them to focus on their spiritual Needs. So chapters 8 to 13 record uh, or was it, uh, record some sort of spiritual ministry. And up till now, it's been mostly physical and a lot of building, um, a lot of repairing. Um, so now it's time to get into the spiritual, spiritual things. All right. We're all good still. We're all on the same page. You know where we're at. Okay. So Ezra and Nehemiah... Um, they put the word of God first in this city. Yes. When they were trying to reestablish it, um, they made sure that the word of God had preeminence. It had priority in this city. And what happened from here on was a result of their response to the scripture. When we stray away from the Bible, we water down the word. That's when we see people start to slip away. So we need to really hold on to the Bible. The Holy Ghost uses the word to cleanse us and to revive the hearts of his people. They've got to work together. So if God's going to work through his people, we need to respond to his word. So Nehemiah chapter 8 gives us three basic responses to the word. Verses 1 to 8 talks about understanding the word. Verses 9 to 12 talks about rejoicing in the word. And 13 to 18 talks about obeying the word. So the whole person, mind, understanding, heart, rejoicing, and will Obeying must submit and love the word if we're going to do anything for him. <coughs> All right, now we're going to do it. Understanding is the first part. So first we need to understand the word. So Nehemiah 8, 1 to 8, we'll read that. And it says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the... Oh my goodness. Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women. 
and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. It's a long time to read. Before the men and the women and those that could understand, the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood up, stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood <laughs> Mattathiah and Shema and Ananiah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Uriah and Hilkiah and Masela, Masela, and on his right hand and the left hand. Padiah and Mishael and Melchiah and Hashem and Hashem, Badana and Zachariah and Meshulam. As much as I try to do this, it never works well. Forgive me. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above the people. He was higher, you know, higher up in the platform. And, and when he opened it, the people stood up and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Joshua and Benai and Sherebiah and Jabin and Agub and Shabbatai and Hodajah and Messiah and Kalina and Azariah and Jazabad and Hanan and Peliah and the Levites. Thank God. Caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read the book of the law, um, book, sorry, so they read the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Not very much unlike what I just tried to do. They understood better. All right. So the Bible, the Bible's not some magical book where you just read it and things will happen, you know, it's not, you just read some things and. God's going to do whatever. It's not some magical book with some spells or whatever. It just doesn't change things because somebody reads it. And we need to understand it. We need to apply it to our lives if it's going to do anything in our, in our lives. So six times in this chapter, you find the word understanding mentioned or understand. Jesus compared understanding and receiving the word to planting of seed in the soil where it takes root, where it grows and it bears fruit in Matthew uh, chapter 13. And Ezra, he was the right man to teach this um, Bible conference or school of, of sorts. He was the right man to run this. He was a priest. He was a scribe who prepared for such a thing. And in the book of Ezra, chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So Ezra had been preparing for this for a while. This was something he was ready to do. And he came to Jerusalem 14 years before Nehemiah did, and he had already tried to bring them back uh, to a place where they should be spiritually, but it was slow going. Uh, because you can't force people, Amen. right? You know, we want to. We want to make everyone you know, catch up to us, or maybe us catch up to them, or whatever. We want to make everyone like us and know everything that we know, but that never works. Amen. You know, it was slow going. You can't force people. They need to come to a place where they are ready and willing yeah. Um, to receive the word and ready and willing to grow um, yes. by themselves. Amen. And the people were ready now. This was the time. Time was, was now. They were all focused and ready to go. Um, so verses 1 to 4 again. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest 
brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate in the morning until the midday before the men and the women and those that could understand, and all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood and made for the purpose, and beside him stood thirteen other people. So Ezra brought the book. That's what he did. He brought the book. He brought the scroll. He brought it to read. And it was the first day of the seventh month, which is basically Jewish uh, New Year. That's just, this is when they uh, reset their calendar. It was a special time. The seventh month was a special time in the Jewish calendar because this is where they celebrated the Feast of Trumpets on the first day, the Day of Atonement on the tenth day, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, from the 15th to the 21st days. So there were a lot of things that happened in this month. The Day of Atonements where they um, they would bring their sins before the Lord and He would say if you forgave them or not. It was a big deal. So everyone would bring all their, you know, their, their sacrifices and all that and they would you know, repent. And it was just a time of renewal, a time of refreshing, a time of forgiveness. So this is when this is happening. All this, this people are ready to do it for real this time, ready to have a fresh start. And it was a perfect time for this to happen. I know, you know, we can have a fresh start anywhere, anytime. But you know, New Year's is usually a time that we're like, yeah, let's do it. Everybody's going to lose weight. <laughs> it lasts for a day or two. There's so many Christmas goodies left over. Right, but anyways, we all... You know, it's not a special day, but it, there's, there's a time when we're ready to try to do something new, you know, emotionally, physically, or whatever. We're ready to do it. So this was the time. It was a perfect time for this to happen. It's kind of like their, their new year. And so he brings the book, uh, which, would been, which would have been the book of the law, uh, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These books are the foundation of the Jewish faith and their civil and their civil law. So Ezra stood up on this wooden platform or pulpit high above the people so that they could see him and hear him better. And verse four lists all those guys that were standing up there with them whose names I cannot pronounce. So they're all standing up there and he's reading um, from the law to the people of Jerusalem. So verse 5 says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. When he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So when Ezra held up the, the scroll and unrolled it to read from the word, the people all stood up in honor of the word, which is a good sign. They knew that it wasn't just some guy that was reading something that some other guy had written, you know, years ago, but they would be hearing from God himself, from the word of God himself. First Thessalonians 2 and 13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which were effectually worketh also in you that believe. So the word of God is not just the word of man. It's not just some guy wrote something down and we're like, yeah, that sounds good. We'll put it in this book and you know, we'll take it as that. But the word of God is you know, God speaking to us also. So Ezra 
He started to read and to teach early in the morning, and he went through till midday. It says, verse 3, and he read there before the street, before the water gate, from the morning until midday. And verse 7 says, all the people stood up in their place. They stood for the whole time. That's pretty incredible. Five or six hours total, these people stood while Ezra read. That is amazing. I don't even know if I could read out loud. You know, his voice would have been, I'm done after half an hour. I got a microphone, so I don't know. He must have been better than me and that sort of thing. (laughs) Some people have a better voice for projecting, but... They stood the whole time, five or six hours total, not because they were asked. There's nowhere that Ezra says, you guys all need to stand because we're going to read. They just did it because they respected the word. Verse 18 says, also day by day from the first day to the last day, he read the book of the law and they kept the feast seven days. On the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the manner. This verse lets us know this went on for a week, for seven days and they were probably given times of rest, but the people were there to hear God speak, and they were willing to stand and listen. And times have changed a little bit. Uh, we get grumbly. We got to stand for a couple of songs, 10 minutes. We're like, I'm sitting down. I had enough of this. <laughs> I know we have health issues and stuff. I know I'm not. I'm just saying times have changed. You know, we don't stand for five or six hours unless... You're working at a job that you stay in five or six hours. I don't know. Just don't look into that any more than you need to. But Ezra opened the scroll in verse 6. says that he blessed the Lord, the great God. And there, there's nothing wrong with praising God before we start reading his word. Amen. There's nothing wrong with getting into his presence before we start you know, diving into to his word. It actually may help us, you know, put us in the right mindset and get our focus on him so that we can... We can Maybe notice something that we wouldn't have noticed when our mind is thinking about other things, right? So, you know, God gave me this word, this Bible, and, you know, what does he have to say to me through it today? If we approach it with that, you know, we're going to speak to us through that. So the people agreed and they they affirmed it by saying, amen, amen, so, so be it, so be it. That's what that means. We agree, let it happen, yes. You know, it's a good response. These people were a united group and they honored the, the scriptures and were willing to give half of their day to hear it read and taught. And they weren't worshiping the book, but they were worshiping the God who spoke to them through the book. Amen. And we need to be unified in our love for the word and our respect for the word. We believe it's the word of God. We defend it like it is, but sometimes we don't treat it like it is. You know, sometimes we're in a hurry to get it over with. Sometimes... Um, We ignore when the scriptures are being read, kind of tune out. Uh, You know, when is this service going to end? And we feel pressure to be done at certain times and uh, all that stuff. And I know we got things to do or whatever. And um, five to six hours is a long time. I can't even imagine doing that. I don't have that attention span. I would have been, yeah, you know, thinking doing something else. But we've. We've changed a lot. Paul taught in the early church so long, some dude fell asleep, fell out the window, died, revived, and then he kept on teaching until the morning. Amen. That's incredible. I'm not saying that I'm going to start preaching or teaching for three hours or five hours. 
But we need to realize that the word is important. <laughs> this was the only time these people could hear the word. You know, we've got it. We can read it all day long if we want. This is the only time they got to hear it. So they were just soaking it in because they loved it so much. So we need, the, we need to realize how important the word is and get it in our hearts. Uh, not to be in a hurry when we're reading it. Not to, well, I got to get my reading in. I got to go. Got things to do. You know, don't, don't rush it. Let God um, move and speak through it to us. Um, this was probably the first time these guys had done something like this. That's why it took so long. They hadn't heard it read in all years. And so they got as much in as possible. You know, they didn't do this forever. There wasn't, what didn't go on for the next seven months where they're constantly coming and reading or nothing when it got done. So it wasn't, it was just this one week that they did it, but uh, they were just getting a foundation to get everyone on the same page. All right. So Ezra read and explained the book. Verse 7 says, And Joshua and all these other guys caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. In verse 8, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the, re- the reading. So at this time in history, um, these guys didn't have copies of the law at home. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have it. They didn't have books. They didn't have all that stuff at home. And this was the only time they'd hear the word, so they were pretty excited about it. In verse 8, it says that they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. And the word distinctly means so that they could understand it in a language that they could understand. So part of a, a preacher or a teacher's job of the, of the word is to make it so that people can understand the Bible. You can judge me accordingly afterwards. I don't know. I try. I don't know how much it gets across sometimes, but and that's, what, that's what our job is. So the, the word was taught in such a way that the people could take it home and apply it to their own lives. And that's the purpose of, one of the purposes of preaching, to tell us how to apply something to our own lives. If we're not doing that, then we're doing it wrong and we just get up and tell stories about how great I am and all the wonderful things I've done, then I'm not doing it right. right. The Bible was meant to be applied to lives, and that's how change happens. So it was read, and it was translated into their normal speech. Um, Language evolves over time, right? The the King James was written in the 1600s. It's got some weird sayings. You know, if you're reading it, that sounds weird, like beautiful for situation. That's a weird little, we use it, we sing it, I don't know. You got some weird sayings, the way the words are put together, they're different than what we would say now. Because right? our language has changed and it's um, maybe not so easy to understand as someone that's picking it up for the first time. So, so it's our job to make it clearer. And our language has changed. That's why we have so many different translations in English, because it's changed. The first English translation was Wycliffe's translation in but 1382 is when that was done. And everything was spelled differently. If Kathleen could give you a little clip of this madness, please work now. All right. Come on. All right. There we go. This is uh, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Old English. In the 1300s. Anyone want to read that? 
Look at that beautifulness. You guys got it? You know what it's saying? You gotta read it out loud, it's the only way. I'll give you that I'll give you that travail and been charged. Come to me and I shall fulfill you. Take ye my yoke on you and learn ye of me, for I am mild and meek in heart. And ye shall find rest to your souls, for my yoke is soft and my charge is light. And the next one. So that's what it looked like when it was first written in the 1300s. And this is, uh, I did cheat a little bit. But that's what it looks like. Oh, it's gone. That's what it looks like now. So that was only 1300s to now. That's only 600 years or so, right? I think, yeah. So that's how much English has changed. And the book of the law, you know, the Torah, the books of Moses, they were written a thousand years before Ezra read it. So there's you know, a good chance that things didn't look or sound exactly the same as it used to be. So his language changes. So you know, they would just put that out. People would be like, I don't even know what this says or means, right? So Ezra and the, the Levites and all these other guys that were up there, that was their job to try to explain and you know, say what it means and put it in normal English. Put the letters where they should be or whatever. Um, so he read it and explained it. Um, and the people had understanding of it. So that's the first step. The second thing is uh, they rejoiced in the word. You can take that away if you want. Nehemiah 8, verse 9 to 12. And it says, And Nehemiah, which was the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. So as Ezra read and explained the word, their first response was conviction and grief because they saw that there's all these things that we didn't even know we should be doing and we're not doing them. There's all these laws that we've been disobeying that we didn't even know existed. And here we are, we think we're living for God, we're doing everything right, we're doing this great thing, but we're not. We've got all these things that we're falling short. And they wept and they mourned over their sins because that, that was the response. Um, Romans 3 and 20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law is what shows us what sin is. The Bible is what shows us what sin is. The law can't save us, but it's by the law that we see that we need to be saved. The law shows us what is right and wrong, what side we're on, where we fall short, where we measure up. Where, you know, it shows us. We wouldn't know what right and wrong were without the, without the word. Galatians 3 and 24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law brings us to Jesus. The word brings us to Jesus. It shows us where we fall short and what we, why we need him. It shows us what sin is and the fact that I need forgiveness. So I need to come to Jesus. It brings us to Jesus. Truth and grace. There's this argument, which is more important, but you can't have one without the other. If there's no 
you know, if there's no law, there's no truth. And if there's no truth, there's no need for grace. Right? If there's, I've never done anything wrong, I'm fine, then I don't need to be forgiven. So we need both. The truth shows us where we need grace. And then we can find it through Jesus. The word brings conviction first, which should lead to repentance and joy and being forgiven. Um, if you have an open wound and you get salt on it, it doesn't feel good. It stings at first, but it also heals. And the word may sting a little bit at first when we look through it and we see things that maybe we don't measure up. But if we respond to it correctly, it will heal and bring joy. Amen. There's this thing going around the internet. There's a lady, uh, Marie Kondo, Marie Kondo. And uh, she's helping people get rid of things in their lives. The downsize and uh, you know, I don't have so much stuff because it stresses us out and all this. So she would, you would, you would hold something close to you. This is one. I'm not saying I agree with it or don't. You, she would tell you to hold it close to you and if it sparks joy, then you keep it. If it doesn't, it goes in the pile and you get rid of it. That was her thing. If it sparks joy, <laughs> whatever. The Word of God is something that should spark joy in our lives. When we read it, it should spark joy. There should be some joy that comes from reading His his word. Jeremiah 15 and 16 says, Thy words were found, I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. Psalm 19 and 8 says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 119 verses, verse 111 says, the test, Thy testimonies have I taken as inherited heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. So the word should be something that brings joy to our hearts. Amen. Should spark joy. So the people were mourning. When they read the word, they, they started mourning. And Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites, they told them to stop mourning and to start celebrating. They'd already been through the Day of Atonement where their sins were forgiven. Now it was time for them to celebrate that that had happened. And it's wrong for us to continue mourning after we've been forgiven. Stop beating yourself up. If you've repented, you've been forgiven. If you've confessed your sin to Jesus, you've been forgiven. Stop beating yourself up. Stop being in the dumps because of something you did 30 years ago. Stop holding yourself back because of your past. Let it go. He has. It's wrong for us to continue mourning after he's forgiven us. Rejoice and praise and thank him for mercy and grace and forgiveness. The secret of Christian joy is believing what God says in his word and acting on it. His word says that I'm forgiven, so I should rejoice because of that. Faith without action isn't faith at all. We've seen it in the book of James. It's just superstition. If all you do is believe things, you don't act on it. Joy comes from faith and trusting in Jesus. Joy is not based on, I'm sorry, joy that's not based on the word or faith is not true joy. It's just a good feeling that will fade when something bad happens. Faith based on the word will produce joy that will stand the test of time and weather the storms and last. It isn't just enough to read the word or receive it as someone else teaches it, but we need to rejoice 
in it too. Psalm 119 verse 162 says, I rejoice at that word as one that findeth great spoil. In the Bible days, people would bury treasure or valuable things in jars in the ground. They didn't have banks like we got now. Um, that's why in the parable that Jesus told the guy buried his talent in the earth. Um, but if you bought a field and you were plowing it and you hit one of these jars, a bunch of gold coins spilled out, you'd be pretty excited. Amen. That's why the story, you know, the guy finds a pearl in, in the field. That's why. And you'd be pretty excited to rejoice about it. And David said, I, I'm rejoice like someone who's found this buried treasure. I rejoice at the word as one that findeth great spoil. I'm rejoicing like I've just been going along and I found this treasure that I didn't expect to find. And it's very valuable and I'm rejoicing at it. That's what his word should do to us. There are great treasures buried in his word. And we have to dig them out as we read and we meditate and pray. And we study it out and we find it. We need to rejoice and give thanks for it. If we read and study the Bible only because we're supposed to, because we have some sense of duty, because that's my job, I need to do it, then we may never find any joy or treasures in the Word. There needs to have rejoicing that comes with it, the happiness that comes with reading and studying His Word. And as someone who delights and rejoices in the Word, when you read and study, you will find more and learn more, and God will show you more. Psalm 112, verse 1. It says, praise you the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Someone that delights in the word is blessed. Hallelujah. If we delight in his word, he will bless and delight in us. So we need to delight in his word. We need to rejoice in his word. We need to be thankful for his word. And the last thing, we need to obey the word. Nehemiah 8, 13 to 18. It says, on the second day, were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, and to Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth into the mountain and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written." So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths. Everyone upon the roof of his house and in their courts, in the courts of the house of God, in the street of the water gate and the street of the gates of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were coming in out of captivity made booths. And they sat in the booths. It's getting hard to say. For since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, or Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, had not the children of Israel done so. And there was a very great gladness. Also day by day from the first day to the last day, he read the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days on the eighth day of the solemn assembly according unto the manner. So obligation and um, appreciation. These are two strong motives for serving God. But celebration is even stronger than that. We do it because we want to do it. We do it because we're happy to do it. We do it because we're excited about it. It's keeps us going so when we obey him and we serve him because we rejoice in him then it will be a delight it'll be not some sort of drudgery something i have to do but if we do it because in a rejoicing manner it makes it more enjoyable right well i guess i'll go to church today i suppose 
I'll just sit here. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> like a bump on a log with the weight of the world on my shoulders. Woe is me. Right, we got people like that. Then we got people like, woo! We gotta go to church! Yeah, Lord! And they're all like pumped up and ready to go. Who's gonna get more out of it? Eeyore or Tigger? <laughs> Who's gonna get more out of going to church? Someone that's excited to be there? Ready to go, rejoicing, yes. or some of them, oh, I guess I'll go again. <laughs> see those people that I don't even want to see. I don't know. So, uh, it makes a difference. To the Christian without joy, the will of the Lord is punishment. It's a burden. And, uh, I don't want to do it. But to the one with joy, the will of God is Nourishment. It's vital. It's something that I need. It keeps me going. Jesus said in John 4, 34, Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. It's nourishment to do the will of him that sent me. That's what I need to do. I need it to survive. I need to keep doing it. Ah, the Day of Atonement was the 10th day of the month. The Feast of Tabernacles was the 15th to the 21st. So it meant there was a short window to get the word out to all the people in the surrounding villages and things that everyone was going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles together. It wasn't enough for them just to hear it, but they needed to obey it too. They not only had great joy in hearing it, but they had great joy, in, great gladness in obeying it. Verse 17 says, at the end it says, there was a very great gladness. And doing it. They were very excited. They were very happy and glad to do it. During the Feast of Tabernacles, they would live in booths, as you may have noticed. It was said several times. Uh, made of branches. They would live in a booth for seven days. They built them usually on the roof of their houses. And it was a time to look back to when they lived in tents, wandering around the deserts, or a reminder that things weren't always as great as we have it now. I don't know if we went... People like camping now, I guess, but when I live in a tent for seven days, don't go back to your house. There's nothing like coming home after camping, is there? You appreciate that roof and walls and the electricity so much more. So it was a reminder to them of what God had done and where he had brought them from. It was also a time to look around at the harvest and blessings from God. He had given them good land. And they were to not forget the giver as they enjoyed their gifts. Alright, I'm almost done. It was also a time to look ahead to the glorious kingdom that he promised. So this is what they did at the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days. Um, but the celebrating wasn't also well, sorry, it wasn't only for fun, but it was also to enrich and to encourage. Verse ten. Um, it says, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweets, and the portions unto them, for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We need the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The world's joy is temporary, and when it vanishes, people are often left sadder than they were before and more despair. But joy that comes from Jesus is real and lasting and makes our lives better. When troubles and tribulations come, it will sustain us, it will carry us through. God doesn't give us joy instead of sorrow or in spite of sorrow, but He gives us joy in the midst of sorrow. Not a substitution, but a transformation. Alright. Jesus 
One more thing. Jesus used an illustration of a mother uh, having a baby to explain this joy. In John 16, verse 20 to 22, we'll end with this. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned to great joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. Your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. A mother's pain isn't replaced by joy, but it's transformed into joy. Amen. Our firstborn, Annabelle. Oh, man. It took her three days. We had to deal with, like, it was just yeah. induced, now nah, go home. Do it again, now nah, go home. Come back. And then, finally, I think the last day, they're like, you know what, you're going to have this baby no matter what happens today. You've been through enough. <laughs> it was a long, a lot of frustration and whatever, still going on. But when that little girl was born, everything changed. All the pain, all the, all we had to wait this long, all this frustration, it was all transformed into to joy. And this time in um, Nehemiah wasn't the first time that Israel had celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. But it was the way that they were celebrating it that was different. Everyone participated enthusiastically. There was a joy that came from his word. And I know sometimes in church, some people don't seem like they want to be here. Uh, but when we all participate, we all rejoice, we all celebrate and worship and praise and we live together and we we do it with enthusiasm. It always makes a difference. Amen. All right, let's stand. I hope you. I hope the whole thing made sense. <clears throat> so we need to have a love for His Word, and we need to understand it. We need to rejoice in it, and we need to obey His Word. Amen. We need to be and have joy in it. And if we don't, then we're doing it wrong, and we gotta make some changes. It's a lot easier to live for Jesus when you're excited about it and want to do it than doing it because you have to. Yeah. Be a Tigger, not an Eeyore. <laughs> Let's pray. One more time.